chance. Yenmark down the middle, scores! Matias Yenmark, short-handed goal. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at lvsportsnetwork.com. Puck comes down high, Watt gets the puck, off to the races, into the zone, the righty, right circle, backhander, he scores! What a move! Nicholas Waugh gets the Knights back in the lead! is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, your destination for inside access with the team, exclusive player interviews, and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Welcome in, Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Wallace Millard, Chapman, live inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios. Finley Chevrolet on the 215, home of the... I, I'm not a big fan of going on the air afterwards and tooting your own horn. Not. Uh, I think it's uh, shallow. Sure you're not. I think it's shallow, <laughs> and I think it's uh, like uh, braggy, and it just doesn't reflect well. But I told so you guys, I told you guys that six and a half for the over between Edmonton and Colorado was a very, very minuscule number, and mm-hmm. was. Shouldn't be shouldn't be played, in the sense of shouldn't be available, and I was right. Mm-hmm. I just just want to point that out. I was right. So, um, did you get it out of your system? Are you good now? Yeah. Eight six. Okay. The over the over what, under what, was six and a half. Okay, let me ask you a question. It was eight six last night. What mm. would you set the over under? What would you set the number at for game number two? That's a good question, and I've been thinking about it. Uh, I didn't know you were going to ask it, but it has been rolling around in my head, and I've got mm-hmm. some some numbers to throw out at you regarding this. And uh, okay. we're talking about the Western Conference final opener last night. Colorado shoves aside Edmonton by a score of 8-6. Now, <laughs> I'm going to go back to game one of the Pacific Division final with Calgary. Yeah. And Calgary... Yeah. They went one better. That was 9-6. Mm-hmm. There was 15 goals yep. in that one. Uh, the, the next game was 5-3. So you still had eight. Mm-hmm. Game game three was 4-1. So that would have been below this over-under. And then yep. they went 5-3, 5-4, which mm-hmm. blows out the, the six and a half. So yep. the, you've got similar teams, probably a less star power when you're talking McKinnon. And McDavid going head to head like that uh, that narrative, but I think it's comparable. And I don't know what the over under was in the Calgary Edmonton series, but uh, you could make a case that the uh, the goaltender uh, for Calgary coming into the set was higher, uh, highly thought of uh, compared to uh, Darcy Kemper. It's certainly a, a little bit more track record, uh, and and maybe maybe it was a little bit bit little bit lower, but five three. Four one five three five four. After that, nine six isn't exactly shutting things down. So you ask <laughs> about game two against Colorado. It may be eight goals instead of fourteen, but mm-hmm. I'll be really curious to see whether the line moves on the over under. It it has to move a little bit, doesn't it, or a lot? So. So the reason that I ask, I got right now I'm looking at game two right now on the score. And the line that I'm seeing right now is 
seven and so they bumped it up a goal. That's a lot. It moved up a goal, right? So that moves the needle pretty significantly. But the fact of the matter is, like, is seven and a half, given what you saw in game number one and and understanding what the track record was for the Oilers in in that second round against Calgary, like, should you should you or could you make the argument that seven and a half is even low? Like, would you feel pretty confident betting the over in game two at seven and a half? I just want to get this out of the way. I know really very little about betting and I'm not allowed to bet on <laughs> hockey. So I don't bet on hockey because I love my job working in hockey, but I'm allowed to discuss this. So I'll give you sure. my uh, very uh, uh, basic opinion on this. Seven and a half is the line on the score. Yeah. And I don't know whether Darcy Kemper is going to play. Mm-hmm. because he left the game with an uh, upper body injury. I'll get into what I think that is later. So that means Pavel Francouz and then your third stringer are, are your two goaltenders. That in itself would would move the line a goal. Never mind the 14 goals that were scored <laughs> in the game, but having the backup yeah. in. And then you've got Mike Smith being uh, uh, victimized again and uh, not playing great in the hockey game and the two teams lighting it up and showing no interest in in locking it down i'm taking seven if i was allowed to bet on hockey i would yep. take seven and a half on the over all day long yeah i i don't disagree with you i think i'm there for this series because i don't get the sense that Colorado is going to want to slow things down or clamp things down I, more more often like more to the point like I, I don't think that that's just in their DNA to kind of do that I think they see an opponent in the Edmonton Oilers that they can go up and down the ice with and they know they've got the star power to match them goal for goal and win these this series in, in a high scoring affair so I I think the over Given what I saw out of Game One, given the the lack of restraint in trying to clamp the game down, uh, I I think we're in for an explosive series in which both teams are just trying to outscore their problems. I have a great quote for you that plays into whether or not the teams are necessarily interested in locking things down. Okay, yeah. and mm-hmm. one of them is from Leon Draisaitl. We know we can't skate with them. No, sorry. We know that we can skate with them. We're one of the fastest teams in the league. When we play to our strength and play to our quickness, then we're really, really a hard team to handle. That tells me that you're trying to counter them with offense. Now you'd like mm-hmm. to allow fewer goals, but you're not. You're <laughs> not playing. You're not going to the trap here, and and trying to snuff it out. When you say we can skate with them. That tells me you're trying to match them offensively. Here's here's a, a second quote, and this is from Nathan McKinnon. We would prefer not to play an 8-6 game up 7-3. <laughs> All right? We would prefer not to play an 8-6 game up 7-3. You know what yeah. that, that tells me? Is they wanted to win 8-3. They were not mm. – that. Nathan McKinnon's quote does not translate straight into we're trying to win 2-1 tomorrow night in game two. No, right. it's we would like to win 8-3. We still want to score 
eight goals mm-hmm. in the game. We just don't want to give up six. So I this is uh, destined to be one, one of the great series. Now, the last time we saw anything close to this in a conference final was when, and if you watched the TNT broadcast last night, you're aware of this. If you didn't, uh, I'll tell you, was when Wayne Gretzky was playing in the league and they were playing uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. And it was uh, wildly high-scoring, record-setting high-scoring games uh, in that series, 1985. Uh, and... And the Oilers were like they were a juggernaut. They were the start of their uh, run, and they were they they blitzed everybody. But in in that game, in that series, Chicago and Edmonton, mid eighties, there wasn't a chance that Chicago was going to win that series. And it was high scoring, and Edmonton did whatever they wanted. No, I, I'm I'm serious. There, it, it was not even close. Like you went to the conference final, Edmonton was just playing for stats before they got to the Stanley Cup final, and because it was <laughs> it was so lopsided between uh, yeah. the Smythe Division uh, and the Norris Division uh, back then. That's what the what's that what the divisions in in the West were called, and and it was uh, just brutal. Like Murray Bannerman, like I I. I can't imagine what uh, what he went through uh, facing uh, the Edmonton Oilers on a night by night basis. But this is different. Like I, I think that this has the potential to be a really competitive series. Uh, I, I think that if it goes seven, we'll probably have a goalie pulled in six of the games because of the way that the. <laughs> oh, I'm serious. Because the way the teams want to play offense. And want to run up yeah. and down the ice, and they've been listening to this, and and good on the coaches mm-hmm. for for playing top line to top line. And I love it. I love it. I, I can't believe that we're here, but but uh, but we are uh, with with so much goal scoring. But if if it goes seven games, and that means it's a highly competitive series, which I hope and think that it can be, we will get a goalie pulled in six of those games uh, to try and try and change things up. Well, I, I think that that depends on Darcy Kemper's health, right? Because if you're the Colorado Avalanche and you're down to Pavel Francouz and the next guy, Hunter I Miska, don't know yeah. that that theory is going to hold up. Like, I think you're going to have to ride with Pavel Francouz no matter how much he is or isn't playing well. Well, listen, Pavel, I wish you the best. I do. Good I luck. Do. But but you could be you could be Dominic Hasek in there. You're still going to mm-hmm. face so many great chances, and you're going to give up some goals. That's when I told you last night before this game mm-hmm. that goaltenders are going to have to adjust their mindset as much as anything in this series. I wasn't yeah. kidding around. You have to be okay with giving up four goals a game, and and being uh, a, a player and a positive impact on your team. That's how good these two offenses are in this uh, in this league, in this series. It's just it's just a reality. And if you if you give up four goals, like I said, mm-hmm. both goalies could come out of this with averages over four. If you have yeah. an average of four point zero to four point two five, I think you win the series. <laughs> yeah, I. It'll be interesting to to watch this unfold because I, I, I'm with you in that I don't think either team wants to play differently than they did in game number one. And frankly, if I'm the Colorado Avalanche, like I don't like the idea or the fact that the Edmonton Oilers were outplayed badly in the first 20 minutes of that game and still put six goals on the board and made you sweat it out down the stretch. Like, to me... 
game one against Calgary, when the Oilers were able to come back and tie that game, even though they ultimately lost that game, I think that's where the Flames lost that series. And I feel like the same might have happened to Colorado with the Oilers coming back, making it interesting, and proving that they can score at will no matter how poorly they're playing. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm going to go with just pure excitement and joy that we're here uh, to to a period where uh, the National Hockey League is willing to trade, trade chances and the coaches aren't yelling and kicking and screaming about how bad their teams were, even if they win uh, and, and they, they allow six goals like uh, like Colorado did last night. They'd like to be better. And both teams, and both teams do want to give up less, but they're not talking about scoring less themselves to give up less. And I think that's the the best part uh, about it. Now, there's there's a couple of question marks here. Uh, Mike Smith, can he bounce back again? He did it in round one against Los Angeles after he coughed up the puck and and led to a, a groovy goal by the Los Angeles Kings yeah. into an empty net. He bounced back after getting pulled in game one against Calgary in a 9-6 loss uh, to the Flames. And uh, and he came back and, and was the better goaltender for the rest of the series. Can he do that for a third time? Oh, that's up to Mike Smith. I, based on his previous track record lately, maybe getting out and getting a bit of a rest and, and watching for a little bit uh, isn't a bad thing. The other part is the goaltending for the Colorado Avalanche. Darcy Kemper mm-hmm. uh, left last night in the middle of the second period. Uh, they called it an upper body injury. What is that? And nobody has been able to uh, report what exactly it was. Now, there's some speculation, though. And it does revolve around the stick that he took through the mask in the second round mm. uh, in the loss uh, in the Nashville series, in which he left yeah. the game and uh, and uh, came back. And there was there was some uh, uh, a scare there, and uh, he suffered a, a laceration, but uh, but he was able to to get back and get uh, get into the net. Uh, there's uh, that, so there's speculation that his injury last night the upper body is related to that how is that well uh he took a shot off the mask before he left the game and uh that could be the upper body that could be a uh, concussion that could be blurry vision that could be uh just not feeling right uh that could be uh, uh impacting uh the the laceration maybe something got in there. I, I don't know what it is uh, any one of those things could be part of it but uh that is the some of the scuttlebutt that's happening uh, in denver today regarding the availability of darcy kemper uh, it doesn't sound like he's going to be available for game two but uh, they have not ruled him out just yet uh, i hope he plays i really do hope he plays but uh but right now uh several people are leaning uh towards pavel friends who's getting that uh, getting that stuff yeah i i think that you know the the mike smith question is an interesting one but given the fact that he's done it twice now that he's been able to rebound he's been able to find his game and find his form i i'm gonna lean and everyone knows how ridiculous this is coming from me, but I'm going to lean toward Mike Smith figuring things out. Though, it'll be interesting to see if what Miko Koskinen was able to do in relief at least kind of piques the interest or pushes Jay Woodcroft in the direction of giving Miko Koskinen a start. We'll see. I don't feel like that's the right move to make right now. I think you've got to get Mike Smith back in the net and hope that he refines his form. That being said, Darcy Kemper is a is a much bigger story for me in this series than Mike Smith and whether or not he can rebound, because I I just look at you know 
the, the, the Colorado Avalanche, they bring in Darcy Kemper after moving on from Philip Grubauer to be the guy. And against an Edmonton Oilers team that puts the puck in the back of the net with that much regularity, you need your number one goaltender in there. I don't think they win this series if Pavel Frenzos has to be the number one goalie. I just don't see the quality of goaltending being enough to overcome Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and this Edmonton Oilers team. Here's the issue with Pavel Frenzos is, is he gets hurt. Like he's, yeah. he's like anti-Ranta. He's a great goalie. But uh, one of the, the knocks against him is he's a little fragile when it comes to his durability. So if, if Kemper's out and Franzuz is mm-hmm. in and he gets hurt, yeah. then you've got to go to Hunter yep. uh, Misker or whoever uh, down uh, with, the, with your team, which is uh, going great in the, in the American Hockey League. That's, uh, that's a, an issue as well. The, the whole idea that Edmonton switch, switch goalies right now is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I agree. Uh, Mike Smith got pulled in game one against Calgary, and Miko Koskinen came in and was worse. Now, last night he well, came in. Last night he came in, and he, and he was good. He stopped 20 of 21. Yeah. He, he was great. But you're playing with house money. Trust me. Like Going in in relief as a goaltender is one of the easiest things in the world because mm-hmm. if, if you suck and you're terrible – like Koskinen was in game one against Calgary. Well, Calgary was just going that night. Like, uh, yeah. I couldn't do anything about it. They were going. But so there's no expectations on you to turn things around. And uh, he did He did okay last night, but they still didn't, didn't, didn't win the game. Now, if they, if they win the game, I guess there could be a bit of a narrative event. But there was no chance uh, that Mike Smith was going to be uh, taken out. Now, if they're down big in the series or you're – Searching for something, I, I think Koskinen could get a start absolutely mm-hmm. uh, in this postseason uh, because he he played so well at times uh, this year uh, for the Edmonton Oilers, but nothing right now, and it would have to get to DefCon four uh, before I would consider <laughs> uh, making that uh, that that change. But man, eight six, game one of the conference finals. Mm-hmm. That's yep. all four goalies used. Just beautiful. Like it to me, this is what we signed up for in the West. Right? Like this is when when you have Colorado Edmonton, you are signing up for back and forth action. You're signing up for goals. And both teams delivered. And it was awesome. It was really fun to watch that game last night. And, you know, I think kind of the, the feeling that we had after game one in the Battle of Alberta. Can these two teams keep up that pace? Can they play up to six more games that are as fun, entertaining, and exciting as that one. I think so. I, I want to believe they can because it was too much fun last night. Well, wow. and and then you had some controversy thrown in there, and sure. uh, the bizarre goal by Kale McCarr that everybody uh, on planet Earth thought was offside, and mm-hmm. were on Twitter, and uh, Twitter is blowing up, and they the Edmonton Oilers. appeal it and they challenge the play and that's denied and then that challenge ends up costing them another goal and they go from bad to worse and uh, you had five goals in five minutes yet you did have a little bit of everything last night and a lot of it was really really good now the controversy on the goal can Mm -hmm. we go there right now are you okay Yeah. yeah it was off a tag up play and it's a play at the blue line where uh, it the uh, 
There's a Colorado player in the Edmonton zone. He's trying to get out. The puck goes in, and you have to basically clear the zone, and then you can go back in. Uh, the right call was made. It's not even uh, uh, like up for debate. If if you read the rule and you know the rules, it's the right call. The problem is, is it looks goofy. And every part of your being as a hockey person says that's offside. Uh, but you have to take into – and this is where I give the official, the liney, mm-hmm. uh, linesman uh, that, that was calling uh, that play, all the credit in the world because it looks offside. It's screaming at you that it's offside. The, the, there's a player in the zone. The puck goes into the zone. And then the the offensive player that's handling the puck, who looks like he's stick handling it at the same time, goes in and scores a goal, just as the player leaving the zone gets out. Uh, it's it, it again. If you're in road hockey, if you're in men's league, if you're in pretty much any league outside of the National Hockey League, you're probably blowing that down because it just so- looks it looks so obvious. And where they got into trouble last night. Or where the confusion started was some of the announcers starting out, started throwing out the word possession. Sure. It had nothing to do with possession for Kale McCarr. It didn't matter that he was stick-handling up the ice and he had full possession. What mattered was when the puck crossed the blue line into the Oilers zone, he didn't touch the puck again until the Colorado player exiting the zone got out, and for a split second, Makar hadn't entered. Then he touched the puck, and it was the tag-up rule, which we see so deliberately done a hundred times a night, but never on that bang-bang type play. And the official got Now, Mike Smith could have made the save, and we we would have been saved from all this controversy, but uh, but that didn't happen either. Uh, but I, I do want to recognize the. I've seen it before. I know it's confusing, but the right call was made. I talked to hockey operations today, and they like there's there is no doubt last night that the, the right call was made. Yeah, it's an interesting concept because I I I understand the the logic behind it. If Kale McCarr is stick handling that puck and over the course of the blue line and into the zone, he does not have the puck on his stick, and it allows. Nachuskin enough time to come back, tag up, and then once he's onside, touch the puck again? Okay, fine. Like, that's what happened. I, I, I can can take that on face value. I understand the logic of it. However, uh, I, I think you're right. The, the bringing in possession is what started to, I think, confound a lot of people because based on possession, Kale McCarr was in possession of that puck as yeah. it was crossing the blue line going into the offensive zone. If you are utilizing that rule in determining possession as as being part of what needs to happen or clarifying whether or not a team's offside, then I can see a lot of people getting frustrated and upset and saying that that was not the right call. Um, I don't really have a take on this at all. Um, It was reviewed, and you have these moments where you you look at these types of plays and you understand that there are are certain things that you've got to be looking at and looking for. I guess when it comes across on television, the only thing that you're hoping for is is a clearly 
construed or, or clearly defined idea of what is or isn't being looked at like you just gave, Darren, because I think if that was the explanation given on the broadcast, you'd have a lot less angry people at that play. Well, that's on us as announcers. Sure. I it agree. Is. I, got, I watched the Canadian uh, telecast. That that's the uh, the the stream that uh, that I watched last night, and possession was all over their broadcast, and I was screaming at the TV. It has nothing to do with it. <laughs> possession is nowhere within that rule. It has it has zero impact on that play. The only thing that could have blown that play down was Kale McCarr touching the puck before uh, the Colorado player leaving the zone. Natushkin uh, uh, had had properly exited the zone. That's it. There, it had nothing to do with possession. And and I know, and uh, uh, I won't speak for hockey ops, but they're they're a little frustrated, I would think, because then everybody else starts chiming in and watching it, going, oh, he had possession. Well, it doesn't matter. And it created controversy where there where there didn't need to be uh, controversy. Now, at the end of the day, like Kale McCarr made a brilliant play. I don't think he had. A, I think he was looking somewhere else. I don't think he knew that he had a, a teammate in the zone uh, and was trying to exit the zone, even though they were only a few feet apart. Otherwise, he would have. Uh, did some kind of uh, move at the blue line to buy himself a little more time uh, because it, it was that close. I think they just got super fortunate. It was nothing intentional uh, about mm. making a play like that. It was just part of the wackiness uh, of game number one. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Kale McCarr had the ability in that moment to, to make that play, but I'm with you. I don't think that he was intentionally trying to hold off on touching the puck. I think that the puck got a little bit away from him and it was advantageous to the attack of the Colorado avalanche. There's a lot of different, you know, when you talk about this game, it's a game of inches. There's, there's that instance where if McCarr has clearer possession of the puck, or if he's got the puck on his blade, that goal comes off the board. It doesn't happen. And you know, the, the Edmonton Oilers are in a better position, but, the way that it worked, the way that it broke in that situation, it was advantageous for the Colorado Avalanche, and it was Kale McCarr scoring the goal. So I, I, I'm with you. It's, it's an interesting concept. I, again, feel like in that moment you, you need to have a very clear idea of what the rule is, and that needs to be clearly communicated to everybody that's watching the game, and it would cut back on the backlash. But, you know, you're right. You look at the rule – Possession's not in there, so nope. good goal. I've 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 seen it happen before, and I'll be a hundred percent honest. I was perplexed the first time that it happened, uh, mm-hmm. where I was watching a game, and I'm like, how can that not be offside? That's like the guy's in there. The puck <laughs> went in. I never thought yeah. of it as a tag up. So I I get it. We're 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 so uh, uh, ingrained with that being an offside play that that it's. I get why eyewitnesses forget things and and see what they want to see sometimes, uh, yeah. and and their their recollection can be can be clouded. Uh, I understand that totally because good people, great people, watched that last night and thought that has to be offside. It yeah. does, and and it wasn't. So it's 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 a weird play, and uh, nobody will uh, will. Will make that mistake. It was a, it was a live tutorial for everybody. Who who feels 
better about where they are going into game two. Colorado, because they won and they scored seven goals on a goalie and, and mm-hmm. eight total, but maybe without their number one goaltender. Or Edmonton, knowing they've been through this a couple of times before and scored six goals themselves and have bounced back and, and won the last two series. I think it's the Edmonton Oilers, and it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. They put six goals up on the Colorado Avalanche. They made a game that had no business being a game midway through the second period, a tight game in the third period. They had the Colorado Avalanche on the ropes, and if not for a couple of really big saves late in the game by those, especially on that six-on-five, we would have been talking about a game that went to overtime. And if you have a 7-3 lead at any point in a playoff game you shouldn't have to close it out with an empty netter defending a six on five situation the edmonton oilers have proven they can come back they have proven that they can score on darcy kemper and pavel Francos. and i think to me if i'm coming out of this one if the edmonton oilers start better if they put together 60 quality minutes i think that they have confidence they can beat this team uh i, I gotta admit i was uh i was I don't believe uh, in name-dropping, but I was talking to my buddy, uh, Eddie Olchek, during the game, texting back and forth. And <laughs> and I was telling Eddie, uh, like, I hope the fourth stringer is stretching for both teams. And his reply was, e-bugs on call. Might be the first e-bug to get a name on the Stanley Cup because play. And yeah. uh, and I thought, like, this, this is getting ludicrous. Like, all four goaltenders uh, play in the game. You've got an 8-6 game. And then Chapman, I want to bring you in here because – you mentioned something to me earlier today, and I think it's it's really telling about how that game went last night because it was something that Edzo said during the game that we've never heard about, about Koskinen uh, trying to keep his team in it. Do you remember what you said? Um, No. Don't allow <laughs> the eighth goal. No, no, that was Ryan, no, Ryan said that. It wasn't oh. Chapman. Yeah. Yeah, That's why was me. Uh, I, I was, was the one who asked you about the rules for the e bug in the uh, the playoffs if they're the same or not, which I find fascinating. You you can use an e bug, but use most teams carry a third goaltender, especially at this stage because the American Hockey. Sometimes you'll have a, an e bug uh, have to be on standby for a team uh, in the earlier rounds because there's so many American Hockey League teams still playing and teams do like to have their third, fourth string goaltenders available. Uh, for their their American Hockey League team uh, playing, and it doesn't happen very often. So uh, there there has been an occasion where an e bug has been on standby for a team in the Stanley Cup playoffs if the starter is forced to to leave the game. But at this stage, most teams do have a third goaltender uh, around. But I've never heard an announcer say, "Really important here, don't yeah. allow the eighth one." And you got a chance. Yeah. That blew my mind. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it was it was perfect. It was beautiful. It, and it, it wasn't it, it encapsulated being, the game. He wasn't trying to be no. cute. No, it, it was it was in the third period, and it was with the Oilers trying to cut the to, the lead to one. And he's like, "If you're Miko Koskinen, the only goal you have right now is to not allow the eighth goal. Because if you don't allow eight, you give yourself a chance." And it it was true. He didn't allow the eighth goal. Miko Koskinen, you look at kind of his body of work in the game, played well, gave the Oilers a chance. But the fact of the matter is, we were we were headed 
I, I firmly believe we were headed to a game that probably would have gone to double overtime had the Oilers found another goal. We would have had a 7-7 game in overtime in game one of the Western Conference Final. That would have been phenomenal. You know what would have happened? Triple hmm. overtime. Triple overtime. I know. Yeah. Would would have been great. You have five goals in five minutes and 14 goals uh, (laughs) between the two teams equally. Nobody can make a save. Nobody can make a defensive stop. Like, I was was watching that going, are both teams going to work nonstop on uh, defending a two-on-one tomorrow? Because they couldn't do it. Bucks are flying Mm. back and forth uh, in it. Uh, If it would have got to 7-7 in overtime, we were going all night uh, because Mm -hmm. uh, they would finally – uh, play uh, a little bit uh, more responsible, but I I hope I hope we get it again. It doesn't have to be eight six, but I'll take five three or six four uh, somewhere in that uh, that range. I sure hope that we don't uh, turn around and play three one hockey uh, because I think we're going to get that. We'll be lucky if we get that out of the Eastern Conference Final, which starts tonight between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Rangers. We'll get into that. Uh, what a series. Uh, two teams that uh, were in the third round in 2015, and they're back again. This time, the Tampa Bay Lightning are going for a third straight trip to the Stanley Cup Final. We'll explore what to look for in that series. Up next, uh, some uh, not surprising news but also very significant news from the world of hockey to tell you about and dive into. And how many first-round picks are really in play going into the National Hockey League draft? Uh, We've got some stats for you. This is the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. We're all sports fans. We love it. We follow different leagues. Maybe it's the NFL, NBA, auto racing. Oh, we, we dabble in, in a lot of things. I want to know from you, as you sit there listening to the show right now, if you had your choice to be the coach or the team principal uh, or the manager of any team or organization in sports, what would it be? Would it be Ferrari in Formula One? Would it be the Lakers in basketball or the Yankees in baseball? Because one of the great jobs in the National Hockey League has been filled as of today with the word that Martin St. Louis has agreed to that three-year contract. Yeah, I, you know, I I don't know that there's one that I would single out more than than any other but um you know for for nostalgia's sake like i'd love to control the dodgers that'd be awesome that would be fun for me that would feel in much the same way for me as a kid um growing up being a fan of that team it it would feel probably what the the same emotions are right now for marty san louis being the full-time head coach of the Montreal Canadiens because it, that's got to be one dream come true. And two, it, it, it's uh, the good, the, the right move. Like I, I think San Luis did a great job as an interim coach for a team that was going nowhere fast. And at least they went somewhere a little bit quicker, but not anywhere close to a playoff spot. Incredible. He joins a, a list that includes the likes of the great Dick Irvin, Toe Blake, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. 
Scotty Bowman, Pat Burns. I mean, this is a phenomenal uh, list of, of full-time coaches with the Montreal Canadiens. Legends. Uh, different people have won Stanley Cups. Uh, Jean Perron uh, won, won a Stanley Cup. Uh, but I'm, I'm talking about like the, the Bowmans and the Blakes and the Irvins and Newsy Lalonde. Like that, that's epic. The 32nd coach of the Montreal Canadiens is Martin St. Louis, and he'd never coached anywhere other than his kids' teams. That's the fascinating part of it. And yeah, I was a skeptic, and I was one that was chirping a little bit about this. But mm-hmm. this team was terrible last year under Dominic Ducharme, yeah. and it was going south in a hurry. And we had Martin St. Louis, and in a, in a lot of the same respect, uh, Bruce Boudreau with uh, the atmosphere around the Vancouver Canucks at the time that he took over, inject some life. Like, made guys happy to come to the rink again and just uh, just loosened up the uh, the environment. And for Montreal, like he was he was five games below 500. But compare that yeah. to the overall record, and that is an epically successful season at 14, 19, and 4. And he gets the three-year contract. And then as he, as he accepts the three-year contract, says, I got a whole lot to learn about this. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but you got a three-year contract to coach the Montreal Canadiens. Now, Martin St. Louis, remember, won a Hart Trophy uh, and won um, uh, a Stanley Cup uh, in, in the early 2000s. He's a Hockey Hall of Famer. There's a whole lot going on in that, in that head of his. I think at the time I was a little bit miffed because there's guys that are career coaches. Maybe it's junior A, junior B, uh, major junior, college, uh, AHL uh, coaches in the National Hockey League, assistant coaches, who never get the chance to be a head coach. And yeah. and Martin St. Louis coaches his kids for a little bit, and then he's brought in. Uh, I didn't get it. I'm 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 big enough person to admit that at this stage, based on his track record, uh, in taking over the team, that that I was wrong. And now the pressure is there's some expectations for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Martin St. Louis was quoted as saying, I don't think we were the 32nd team. They finished 32nd. They won the draft lottery because uh, he said, I don't think we're the 32nd team. Are we a playoff team? Maybe we're not quite there. But he he raised some expectations, and I don't know what – I don't know whether they're not – a team that's between 28th and 32nd. That's that's where I have them. Yeah, I I certainly don't think that they're a playoff team. Uh, I really don't. But to me, the the biggest reason why you give Marty San Luis a try, like the biggest reason why you continue down this path, is what he was able to do for Cole Caulfield, right? Like we, you're talking about a player that in the Canadians' run to the Stanley Cup final. He was electric. He was dynamic. He was everything you needed. Cocky, swagger, everything, right? Scoring, confidence. Yeah, exactly. Chirping Robin Leonard. Like, come on. It it was ingrained in Cole Caulfield. And then 21-22 comes around. He cannot score to save his life. There was no offensive production from Cole Caulfield. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was even sent down to the AHL for a couple of stints. And then Marty St. Louis comes in the door and 20 
two of of Cole Caulfield's 23 goals were scored in the 37 games Marty St. Louis was yep. behind the bench. The turnaround in Cole Caulfield from uh, from Marty St. Louis allowing him to go out and be Cole Caulfield is the reason I believe you give Marty St. Louis three years. You have a player that can be a spark for your organization over the next couple of, of years, four, five, six years, you've got to get him playing the right way, and I think St. Louis can bring that out of Caulfield. You know, Cole Caulfield has to own some of this slump too, though. It, it can't just be Martin St. Louis uh, turning things around for him. He's got to be able to produce uh, whether he's getting along with the coach, with the coach is playing him in the right spot, or because the same coach was his coach when he went to the Stanley Cup Final. And mm-hmm. I, get, I don't know how much changed. It couldn't have been that drastic. So Cole Caulfield uh, has to own some of that. But getting him back going in the right direction, feeling good about himself, uh, is certainly uh, significant. When you score uh, one goal under one guy and then you score 22 goals under the next guy, uh, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't take a, uh, a rocket surgeon to say, uh, we might go with door number two. For, for the rest of it and give him a, a three-year contract. We've got first-round picks in play. At least I mm-hmm. think we do. And I'm going to explain to you exactly why a couple of teams are talking tough about their first-round picks being available. I've got a theory on this. Plus the VGK uh, play of the day, which goes back to the Stanley Cup finals, or Stanley finals last night in the Western Conference Championship Series. And news and notes from around the National Hockey League as we have one-timers. It's the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Stay with us. No chance to shoot for Stevenson. Centered. Eichel scores! It's time for the play of the day on the VGK Insider Show. Let's go back to the only game of last night. And when there's 14 goals scored... How do you really limit the play of the day to one goal? It's hard. This might have been the biggest challenge of the VGK Insider Show Play of the Day Committee of all time. But we did it, and it was a beauty from Mr. Nathan McKinnon. Just keep finishing that check until you win submission. Uh, Here comes McKinnon moving in. With the poke check. And McKinnon softly puts it right between the legs. Too much spacing there, Jones. Yeah, time, space, and it's everything that we've heard about playing the Colorado Avalanche is if the the first instinct is to sit back and play defensively. But if you sit back and give him any type of room, he's going to eat you alive with a transition, and that's exactly what Nathan McKinnon did on that play. And I love the touch as he blew by everybody and then went in alone on Mike Smith, who tried the poke check. I thought it was a good uh, good idea for Mike Smith. But everybody in the rink thinks that McKinnon's going to go to the far side and tuck it home. Instead, he throws it, just uh, chips the puck through the legs. What hands to go along with that uh, blinding speed? Yeah, it, it's a really good play from Nathan McKinnon. Obviously, the speed, he's moving so incredibly fast. I, I agree with you on Mike Smith. Like In that situation, I think your only hope is a, is a poke check, right? The only hope is to, to disrupt a little bit what Nathan McKinnon's doing because uh, if, you, if you end up missing and he doesn't go five-hole, he's going to go around you and score uh, far side. So there's really nothing you can do to defend that outside of getting in front of him earlier on when he picks up the puck in the neutral zone. But Nathan McKinnon was on a, another level for that play specifically, and, and the speed that he plays at is just ridiculous. Player in the rink last night 
And I'll take Oilers. I'll take uh, Avalanche. Uh, I mean, it's hard to go against Kale McCarr. A uh, goal, two assists, three points. He was everywhere, doing everything, and it wasn't just the offense. Defensive plays that he was making. We we talked about how this series did not feature too much in terms of actual defensive uh, hockey, but Kale McCarr had a couple of really nice breakups in the defensive zone. He was showing up for his team in that aspect too. Um, to me, he was the best player on the ice all night last night. Can you, can you give a defenseman your nod as the best player in the rink when there was 13 goals scored on goalies in the game? I'm, a, I'm well, asking I mean, for it's... a friend, okay? <laughs> Listen, you can, when you have a goal to assist three points and you're a plus three in a game that featured that many goals, yes, yes, you can. McKinnon was great. Uh, I, th- I thought Nugent Hopkins was really good. Uh, some of the death players were certainly uh, ready to make a name for themselves. Leon Dreisaitl's pass across the crease was it, it, jaw-dropping. I, I, I think of him. I think of him as a guy that can that can score goals, and I'm aware that he, that he can certainly dish the puck. Uh, I, I like I've seen that before. But when he does uh, something like he did last night, I'm like, is he the best passer in the league? I don't know how you would get that puck across the crease like that. Yeah, it's it's weird because I think of Leon, despite the fact that he scores a ton of goals, I think of his passing ability before I think of his ability to score. And and I think because Leon gets so much of his goals on the power play off of a one timer, I, I just like I don't see him creating those goals at five on five very much. Like I see a lot of those those power play specialty one time goals. But his passing is phenomenal. His ability to get pucks through a bunch of sticks on the tape in the perfect spot, he's he's fantastic. His his skill level is is top notch. Yeah, I cannot uh, wait for game number two. I wish I wish we had back to backs. It was the old days of two two, one one one, and we played back to back games. Yeah, uh, New York Rangers are probably faster. Happy. True, that's the uh, the ultimate conundrum. New York Rangers. They have been mm-hmm. through the grind, but they're happy mm-hmm. to be going still. Uh, we'll look ahead to the Eastern Conference Final and why first-round picks could be in play. The National Hockey League Draft, the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Stay with us.